Hey, good morning. Good morning. I, uh, we're, we're having a baptism today. Uh, Cooper, is this a little too loud? Uh, you guys, everybody hear me? No? Okay, well, we're having a baptism today. And uh, uh, Derek uh, was going to be in the, in the baptistry this morning along with uh, Jennifer and Cooper because Cooper's getting baptized and whatnot. And so that, that, that's one of those rejoicing moments, right? You're really, you know, you're really uh, uh, glad and, and, and happy for them. It's just a really beautiful moment. But uh, I, had, I had forewarned Jennifer this morning. I said, hey, the water's really cold. We're having some issues with the heating element and that kind of stuff. But I wasn't going to tell Derek, right? I'm not telling Derek. And then Derek calls this morning. I just found out a few minutes ago his daughter is sick. He's not going to be here, so i got to get in the water. So... So, you know, sometimes the best laid plans of man just fail. You know what I'm talking about? I was just going to wait for him to step in that water, Gus, and I was just going to grin with the joy of the Spirit, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, so this morning, I'm going to step in that water, and I'm just going to joy, uh, grin with the joy of the Spirit too, right? Uh, but you're, you're now in on that joke, right? You're in on that. Hey, listen, we're continuing our study uh, and closing our study in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. And uh, uh, today we're actually going to be covering uh, familiar verses uh, to, to many of you all, uh, verses 19 through 22. And the verse reads like this, and then we're going to kind of uh, touch on a couple of things before we actually open this up. It, it reads, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. So that's the scripture we're going to be covering today. So we're just going to pray that God would speak to us through these few verses this morning and uh, encourage us and strengthen us and give us an understanding uh, along with what he's been speaking to us about. There's this thread, you know, this woven, uh, this beautiful images tapestry, this thread that runs through all this scripture, brings it all together, and we want to try to keep that continuity and that flow. And, and so let, let's pray that we not hijack God's word this morning and distort it from the original purpose and intent of the heart of God this morning. So Father, in Jesus' name, the very things... Father, that I have spoken to the people regarding the sanctity of your word, I speak to you. And, and I ask you, oh God, this morning to uh, rein in uh, our tongues and our thoughts, our intentions, Lord, that we might not stray uh, from the original intent and the desire of your word that is found here in these few verses. We want to honor them in a manner, Lord, that brings you honor and conveys to your people uh, the value and, and the benefit of your revelation. So, Lord, guard your word this morning. Guard your word this morning to the benefit of your bride. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hey, last week we looked at uh, verses uh, 16 through 18, right? First Thessalonians. And um, what the scripture said uh, in those few verses was rejoice always. Remember that? Pray continually, right? And give thanks in all circumstances, 
for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, right? Now remember, Paul is closing this letter out to this young church in Thessalonica, and he's closing it out with some pretty stout stuff. And so we, we, we covered those few verses last week, and we remember uh, uh, all of those things things that we covered were present imperatives, right? They were commands that were in a present tense. So these were ongoing commands. These are things, these aren't commands that are, are in the past or commands that are in the future. These are all commands, imperatives that are present, meaning in the now. So we're, we're uh, uh, then under a charge of God to live out and to respond to these commands that never grow old but are current and present. And so when Paul said to them, rejoice always, we touched on the fact that that is a joy that is provided by God and not a joy that we conjure up within ourselves. Because we all know here, when we have seasons of conjured up joy, circumstances tend to enter into our lives and deflate that joy, right? We know what, you know what I'm talking about, emotional joy. But if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul, speaking to this young church, says to them, you have become imitators of us and of the Lord. You have welcomed the message in the midst of severe sufferings with the joy provided or given by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a joy that they, 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 that they had worked up, but this was a joy that had been provided by the Spirit of God. So when he says to them, rejoice always, he's basically saying to them, allow God to give you joy always, Right? And so we left here last week saying, hey, Lord, give me joy, your joy. And then he said, pray continually. And we, we spoke about that. You can listen to the podcast if you'd like. If you find yourself, you got 50 minutes this week. But listen, he says, pray continually. We, we, we stopped there, parked there, kind of dissected that, right? When we talked about praying, we're, we're talking about speaking to God, right? Asking we're also talking about listening to God. We're talking about seeking. And then we're talking about doing the knocking kind of thing, right? Because praying isn't just talking to God, but it's communicating, listening, and then responding. I think prayer kind of culminates and comes to its apex or its to its fruition when we act on what the response to our asking is given, and then we act upon it. That's all part of that culminating the, and the fulfillment of, of, of praying. And so it's not just asking, it's not just listening, but then it's applying. And then he said, rejoice in all circumstances. He didn't say rejoice for all circumstances, right? Some of you have had some circumstances this week that you didn't rejoice for those circumstances, but you rejoiced in those circumstances, right? Completely different. And then he said, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And we closed last week with this notion, this idea that God has set us apart for a designed purpose. Remember we talked about the little illustration we had used last week was that of a wedding dress, right? A wedding dress isn't used for 
for dances and a wedding dress isn't used for informal activities. A wedding dress, unlike every other dress, is designed, created, constituted for one purpose, a wedding. And you and I, too, have been fashioned for a specific purpose by God to live out a life to bring honor and glory to Him. And we should not trample nor devalue the purpose and the design and the intent that God has for us, right? Now, we're moving on from that. And he's continuing with this, uh, this present imperative commands. Now, everything we're about to read will have, have in it this, this, this structure. So when we read this, remember, these are not optional things. These are things that are imperative, that are commands, that are present intense, meaning they're always active. This isn't something that we heard or will hear. This is something that we're hearing and responding, right? You with me? Everybody's with me because we're about to move relatively quick. We have somebody to, to baptize this morning in some cold water. And if I find that you're giving me that sleepy, lazy eye this morning, you may be going into cold water too. So be careful. Don't trust the person sitting next to you. They may be in on it. All right, so let's look at this scripture, okay? It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Now listen, when you start talking about quenching the spirit, right? The, uh, the, 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 the idea in your mind is uh, this notion of, 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 of shutting or creating a barrier or a resistance to what God is doing. And we as followers of Jesus, I think there's always this constant wrestling in our hearts as God begins to move that we're not, oh, we, we, we don't want to be resistant to it. or We're afraid. We're, there's something in us that, that, that rises up in us with this out, out of the fear for the Lord that we don't want to hinder what God is wanting to do in sense quenching God's purpose, right? We, and we're always constantly measuring this, right? When we have this, this rising up in our spirit regarding a certain matter, we want to discern, we want to weigh, we want to consider, is this God? And if it is God, even though there's trepidation and fear along with the, the task that God is calling us to, we want to still do it, right? But, so we don't want to quench that spirit. Now, I want to create an image for you this morning as we work through this. The word quench is sabino may, and it means to extinguish, thwart, or to suppress, or to choke off, right? Now, when you consider the Spirit of God, and in the Greek, it is uh, uh, the word uh, pneuma, right, which means air or breath, you can kind of create this image in your mind when you consider the Spirit being that of air or breath of God, this idea of uh, of, of choking off the spirit. You know, if you'll allow me to use this term, and it's kind of crude, but some of you will, will understand this and value this. It's the idea of getting the spirit in a rear naked choke. You know what I'm talking about? And just tapping it out. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes that's intentional, sometimes that's unintentional, but sometimes we're guilty of that, right? It's like spiritual asphyxiation. Now, what is different about this scripture than the previous 
present imperatives is that there's a negative particle involved in this statement. Stay with me. And it is the do not. Do you see that in the scripture? Do not quench the spirit. The implication is that they were guilty of quenching the spirit. So when you look at the sentence structure, you look at what Paul was saying right here, the revelation by God in which he's expressing the truth of God, it is the fact that, God, that Paul is speaking to a condition that was being expressed within the Thessalonian church, Thessalonian church. And Paul is basically saying at this moment, stop quenching the Spirit. Stop quenching the Spirit. Now, when we think of quenching the Spirit, we have a tendency to always make the application of quenching the Spirit and establishing the context of that within the realm of corporate worship. Right? You know, man, I got to have freedom in the Spirit, man. When I come into the church, man, and we start worshiping, man, I got to be able to raise my hands, bro. I got to be able to shout amen. And if somebody says or somebody does something that doesn't allow me to express that, man, then they're, they're quenching the Spirit, right? The reality, the reality is quenching the Spirit is taking place more in our lives than it is within the context of three or four hours through the week gathered together in a church service. We always want to apply it to what's happening here when we need to be taking the scripture and saying to ourselves, am I quenching the spirit in my world in which I live when God is speaking to me? Why is that more? Listen, listen. God is speaking to you exponentially more out there than he is in here. And you say, well, Trent, that's a pretty hard statement to make. How do, you, how do you arrive at that conclusion? Because you live out there more than you live in here. If you think God is only going to speak to you in this window, this time frame of two or three hours, and that's going to sustain you for the remainder, remaining time of the week, then you're fooling yourself. And if God is speaking to us exponentially more outside of here than he is inside of here, then the potential for quenching the Spirit is then elevated. Why? Because the interaction of God and the speaking from God is at such a higher volume outside of here. You get that? That's simple, is it not? That's a simple thought. Though the application is legitimate that we can quench the Spirit in here, the application is also legitimate because we live out there that there's a higher probability that this may be happening there. And guess what affects you the most? Out there. When God is moving in the heart of the church, and when I say the heart of the church, I mean in your heart, church. Out there. And we quench the spirit when we resist what God is doing, we quench the Spirit. When we reject the direction of God, we quench the Spirit over and over and over when we do those things. And before you know it, we're not even sensitive to the Spirit. 
and the things that used to kind of kind of rise up in us uh, and th- this this constant percolating sensitivity to the spirit this warmth of the spirit the warmth of, all of a sudden grows pretty dull doesn't it? now i'm not throwing my mother-in-law under the bus this sunday <laughs> but there's been times oh, listen that she has called me and she said hey I'm having an issue with my vehicle, right? There's been times that she has called me. She said, I think my battery has gone dead. She said, could you come down and look at it? Being the great son-in-law I am, I'm like, I'm on my way. I hop out of bed. I get dressed, pretending I've been awake for three hours. I run down there. And I'll, I'll pop that hood. She'll say, all I'm getting is the click, 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 click. You, you know, that's, that's like the charismatic devil's tongue, right? Click, click, click. That's how the devil tortures us like that. That's, that's what that's, click, 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 right? You're like, you want to rebuke that battery right there at that moment. But there's been many times that I've gone down there, or a few times, and I've popped the hood, and the battery is perfectly fine. The battery is in proper working or fully charged. You know what's happened? There is corrosion on the post. And that corrosion has impeded the discharge of the power and the strength of that battery to provide necessary energy to start that vehicle. And so what I'll do is I'll loosen those cables, I'll pull them up, and I'll clean them up. I'll grab me a, 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 a can of good old uh, Coca-Cola, pour it on and start stuff. You know the story. And I'll put it back on her. I'll tighten them things back up. I'll get inside that car, Larry. I'll turn it. Boom. And it even sometimes works with Chevrolets. <laughs> when we quench the Spirit, when we resist the Spirit, when we resist what God is saying, when we, what ends up happening is we, are, we allow this corrosion to begin to build up. And it begins to affect the discharge of God's power in our life. Not just here, but out there. And if we're not sensitive enough, if we're not aware enough to explain, humble enough to be able to open up the hood of our own heart, soul, and spirit, and to allow God to examine that for corrosion, and to allow God to do the work to remove the corrosion, we'll always find ourselves lacking the power and the energy to what? To perform or to be about the reason we were designed to be. And let me say this, and listen, I could sit on this whole quenching of the Spirit all day long, all right? I could sit on this all day long, but I'm not. I'm going to sit on it for about three hours, and then we're going home. Let me tell you what the Spirit isn't. The Spirit isn't an agent of entertainment. You understand what I'm talking about? The Spirit isn't about you. You get that, right? Right? You coming into a place like this isn't about you getting your Jesus on. You know what I'm talking about? It ain't about that, man. And you know what the scripture doesn't say? Not to quench our spirit. 
Listen, I, I'm just being forthright. I had, had a gentleman in here one time, and, uh, you know, I, I, I really measure things, man. I try to, Gus, I try to be kind, gentle, but at, at the same time, uh, I have a, a shepherding call on my life to, to protect and sometimes it's to protect uh, the younger believers who don't understand the dynamics of certain situations. And that responsibility falls on me. And as uncomfortable as it is, I just have to do it. And, and I remember uh, uh, we, we were in the middle of worship service. And this gentleman had come in. I'd seen him here before. And, and, and I knew, I knew that uh, this individual had had a, a strong charismatic influence in his walk with the Lord, okay? I knew that there, there was this deep desire for him or need for him to express this uh, without regard for anyone gathered around him. And he was sitting a, a, a row or two back over on this side and, and we had a bunch of young believers behind him and this individual um, began to express him in, himself in a manner and, and I, I'm, I'm and listen, just being a shepherd, I'm aware and, and I gave this man liberty because I'm responsible for what happens here, Jay. I'm responsible. God will, I have to give an account. And so uh, I, I give the man liberty, but then it began to get excessive. And then it began to demonstrate itself and define itself as being something that was distracting. And I could recognize, and I knew in my spirit that I was going to have to say something. And listen, if you've never been in that spot, that's an uncomfortable spot to be in, man. But I was looking at the young believers behind them, and I could tell, man, they, they were like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So I slide over to the brother. I said, my young brother, he stopped. He stopped, man. All of a sudden, he had all of his cognizance. You know, he, he was aware. He, he, he comes out of the spirit, I guess. And I said, hey, my young brother, I appreciate your zeal and your passion. And he just looks at me. I said, but there are younger believers around here that you're distracting, and they're confused by this, and we don't want to generate that type of confusion. I need you to understand what I'm saying, and I need you to restrain yourself and your liberty. You know what the gentleman said to me? Certainly, Pastor. Certainly, so I completely understand. You know how many times he's been back here? Zero. You know why? He was worried more about his spirit being quenched than he was the spirit of God being quenched. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you and, about, you and I have got to understand why and what's happening when God is moving and the detrimental aspect of quenching that spirit either by being too restrictive or by being too embellishing. There's a fine line in between there that you and I must operate in in, in honoring the move and the manifestation and the expression of the Spirit of God. Even Donald G., who's a famed Pentecostal theologian, basically said this, if you're a word-only church, you will dry up. If you're a spirit-only church, you will blow up. 
But if you have enough of both, then you will grow up. And we are a church with aspirations to grow up in the Spirit and in the Word. And Paul says to them, to these kids, do not quench the Spirit. Our daily bread. How many of you guys read our daily bread? Anybody? Tells a story of two young women who lost their lives in a fire that swept through their apartment as they slept. It says their home was equipped with a smoke detector that was in good working order, but it hadn't gone off. Why? Fire inspectors concluded that the device had been deactivated for a party the night before. The unit had been disconnected to keep it from sounding off because of the smoke from cooking and candles. And so when the real smoke came, the function of the fire alarm had been neutralized. We, as followers of Jesus, need to realize that the Holy Spirit was not given to us to annoy us like a dysfunctioning fire alarm, right? Because God doesn't sound false alarms. When the Spirit is moving in conjunction with what God's Word says, remember this, the Spirit will never move in a manner that conflicts with the written, revealed Word of God. When He activates or speaks to us in the Spirit, to our conscience by bringing to mind a principle, a warning, or a direction by the Spirit... In accordance with his word, it is truly a manifestation of God's wisdom and love for us. So when this is happening, we should not resist this, but we should embrace it. Even if it's in conflict with what we feel like. Because you know what we need to do? We need to take our feelings and bring them into alignment with God's word. And then the things that quench that will soon be quenching us too, right? And Paul says to these young cats there at Thessalonica, he says, to them, hey man, don't, don't be doing, stop doing this, right? But that's not, that's not where he ends. And then he says this, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Hmm. Again, there's a negative part of, particle there, right? Do not, or stop, stop. Treating prophecies with contempt. The word prophecies is, is the Greek word profation. Profation. It is the gift of communicating and forcing a revealed truth. I want you to understand within this context, it is not referring to foretelling or future events. It's expressing the written or revealed word of God. Literally, if we were to take it within its context, Paul is saying to them, when the word and the truth is being preached to you, do not hold it in contempt. As a matter of fact, Peter wraps this up really beautifully in 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. This is what he says. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Then he says this. Above all, you must understand 
that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origins in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul is leaving this young church. And they have placed people in leadership. And these people are preaching and teaching the counsel that Paul had directed them to give under the influence of the Spirit. And Paul was saying to them, don't resent this. Don't buck up against the Word, man. Value this. You know what the word content means? Do you know what it means? It is the Greek word, listen to this, othenio. Othenio. And it literally means to reduce to nothing. But in the Greek, the word ek, the word ek is an amplifier, an intensifier. The word right here is not othenio, but it's ek othenio. You know what that actually means? It means to despise someone or something on the basis that it has no value to you. Paul was saying to these jokers, stop treating God's word as though it has no value to you. That's pretty stout, is it not? Now listen, you know what you and I would never say? What we'll never say? We'll never say God's word has no value to us. We would never say that. But we'll live like that. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? When God speaks to us, we'll say, oh yeah, that's valuable, but not valuable enough to apply it. And I'll continue to walk in the ways of my own heart. Even though the word of God has already spoken against that or spoken to that. Oh, we'll never say that, but we'll live like that. Here's the incredible thing about this scripture. When you, when you read the scripture in 1 Thessalonians, man, you, you find a church that is commendable. This is a church that's on fire. This is a church that's doing some pretty powerful stuff. And yet, in the midst of all that, where God is moving, there are people in the midst that are still treating the prophetic or the declared word of God with content. Probably not the majority. Probably not the majority. But yet it was worth addressing. And I would say amongst this body of believers, the number that we have here, including those downstairs, it's probably not amongst the majority. But it's probably prevalent in the minority. That there's probably some people here who will walk in and will say, man, that's a good word. Man, that's a powerful sermon or a powerful message somebody had given. And then they'll walk out, shaking that word off like it's, it had no place in their lives. And they'll continue living the life and expressing whatever they desire in their own hearts. They'll continue to live that out, and that is content. The Apostle Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with content. Contempt. And then he says this, but a contrasting command, right? He shifts, right? You see these two commands he he gives? Do not what? 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat the, the a prophetic word. Do not pre- treat prophecies with contempt. But all of a sudden, he shifts. But he says, test them all. Test them all. Dokumazo. It means to prove, to verify, to cross-examine. That's what. Now listen, I've said to you a thousand times. I've said to you a thousand times. When you go home, don't take my word for any of the things that I share for you up here. Go home, examine the scripture. See whether or not what we're teaching, what we're preaching, what we're sharing holds up under the weight of scrutiny. You know what? The Berean church that the Apostle Paul went to after he left Thessalonica did that very thing and Paul commended them for doing it. Listen to this. Acts 17 verses 10 uh, through 12. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas. What believers? The Thessalonians. Sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now listen to this. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And then he says, tells the why. For they received, you see the contrast? The message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But test them all. The scripture says, for they received the message with great ignorance. What message? The same message that the Thessalonians had received. What did they do? They examined the scriptures. They examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true, and the outcome was what? As a result, many of them believed. Listen, when we're teaching the scriptures and we're within context of the Scriptures, and we're sharing the truth of it, I plead with you, go examine it. Why is that? Because the confidence of the Scriptures stands up under the scrutiny. Not only does it stand up under the scrutiny, it will produce in accordance with the will of God. Scrutinize it. God isn't hiding from your intellect and your understanding. When you have confidence in something, you can lay it before people and say, challenge. Hence, a John Lennox at Oxford University, a mathematician, will challenge atheists and agnostics from around the world and lay the scripture before them and say, go ahead, scrutinize it. And after 2,000 years, it still stands up under that same type of, 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 of secular scrutiny. Testing something. We shouldn't be afraid to have people scrutinize what we're saying, challenge what we're saying. I've had discussions with many of you in here who have challenged something I've said. I have no problem with that. Man, I welcome that. Just don't call me at 5 o'clock in the morning because I'll unwelcome that. I have no problem with that. Because there's confidence in the testing. There's confidence. Listen, a few years ago, I was selling a car. 
Okay, now listen, there, there's like three or four things in our culture you can't trust, right? A lawyer. You got any lawyers here? I apologize. All right. Car salesman. Got any car salesmen here? A preacher, right? Hey, I, I admit that, right? We live in a culture and a society where those of the cloth have failed time and time again, so they have literally discredited themselves. But you know what the worst of all of those are? A car-selling preacher with a bad lawyer, right? And a few years ago, man, I had this car for sale. I knew it was a good car. I knew it was a good car. And I put that thing on Marketplace. And listen, man, you opening yourself up at that moment. You'll be getting calls from, you know, I'll just leave it there. But I had an individual who contacted me who was a relative, distant relative as they were, kind of Ishmael Isaac type thing, you know, somewhere down there. And, and, and so, and so uh, they come and say, hey, hey I said, is, is, that, is the ad correct? And I said, it's correct. They said, that price is correct? And I said, that price is correct. They said, that's awfully a good, awfully, uh, an awful good deal. And I said, yeah. They said, will you take 500 less? <laughs> that's what they said to me. That's what they said to me. And then I gave them the family discount. I said, I said, I will for you. And so they said, they said uh, can I come over and look at it? I said, if you plan on buying it, you're going to have to. You know, so they showed up. And, and my cousin, distant as she was, brought her a mechanic boyfriend who I used to work with who knew I shared the gospel. So here I am, the gospel-sharing car salesman. <laughs> right? And, and I feel it, Gus. I feel it. And they walk out there, and he's walking around that car, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, man, here's keys. Tank's full. Go do whatever you want. He said, uh, I'm just going to pop his hood. I'm like, okay, pop, pop, pop the hood. I don't know if he thought I, I was hiding someone under there. I was trying to get rid of a body. I don't know what he thought I was doing. He gets the car. He looks it over. He said, man, that's an awfully good price, man, you're selling us that car for. God is my witness. He asked for another $500 off. And I said, no, <laughs> in the spirit, no. I got to feed Clark Evans, right? Listen, listen. He takes that car for a little drive. They come back. He starts counting out $100 bills. I joke, he brought a wad of money. Now, I'm not saying that money was legal. I don't know where he got that money from. But he, he started counting all that money out. They end up buying that car. They take it home. They call me back. And they said, we took that car to a dealership. And that dealership, the mechanic of the dealership told us, man, y'all got a steal of a deal on this car. Yeah, I said, I, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I wasn't afraid of the scrutiny. I wasn't afraid of it being tested. Under, under what? Under the eye of a professional with the best diagnostics equipment. Put it under that. Under that. Why is that? Because I knew, I knew the integrity of the vehicle was intact and it was above reproach. And the, the, the condition of the car demanded a reasonable price. And I'd gone beyond that. And with confidence, 
I surrendered that car to him, knowing that I would not get any pushback or reproach at a later date because of the truth of it, the integrity of it. God's Word has such integrity that it can be tested, tried. The world's best diagnostics can be hooked up to it, measure it, and your life can too. And at the end of it, you will know what I know, what many have known who have come before me and will come after me. It's reliable. And it can guide your life, it can shelter your life, and you can build your life on that. And Paul says this. Do not quench your spirit, do not treat prophecies with content, but test them all. And he says this, in the testing, there's going to be a revelation. And in the revelation, there's going to require a response. He says, but test them all. And he says, here's the first revelation, there is good. He says, hold on to what is good. It's the present imperative, hold on. Paul said, keep holding on to what is good. Singular, good. And then he says, through the testing, there's another revelation. And it's that there are all forms of evil. And he says this, and reject every kind of evil. He says, hold on. To what is good and let go reject what is evil when God reveals to you this embrace it when he reveals, reveals this to be out of step reject it sometimes there's a little bit of difficulty and pain in holding on to what is good right in this culture you know, when you take a stand, you hold on to good, and you declare what is good, man, you're rejected, you're, you're almost vilified. You know what I'm talking about? Because we live in a culture that calls wrong, right, and right, wrong. You know. So sometimes holding on to what is good is painful. But your grip will always remain strong when you understand that the pain of letting go of what is good will cost you more than the pain of hanging on to what is good. And I say to you today, there is no time appropriate to let go of what is good. Not now, not ever. We're in a study on Monday nights and we're closing. I'm going to read one verse, we're going to close. We're in a study uh, in the book of Job. I'm not sure how far along the study is now, but in chapter 1, we're introduced to Job, right? And then there's a scripture around 6, 7, where the angels approach the throne of God. And guess who is in the company of these angels? Who? Satan. Okay, we got some Monday night people. Satan. 
And he approaches God. You know what God says to Satan? Because he's been going to and fro. That's what the scripture says, doesn't it? Going to and fro. And this is what the scripture says. God speaks to Satan. Because Satan is wanting to discredit God. Undermine God's reputation. God's, the dependability of God. And God says this. Then the Lord said to Satan, listen to this. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. You know what he is? He holds on to what is good. A man who fears God and shuns evil. He rejects every kind of evil. But you know what the scripture just said? Because we read through that pretty quick. You know what God said of Job? There is no one on earth like him. Let that not be said of us any longer. That there is no one on earth like that. But let it be said of us, of you and me, by our Father in heaven, have you considered that rough crowd down at TDC? <laughs> Righteous and blameless people who are upright, who fear God and shun evil. In all honesty, I ask you this morning, are you that person? Are you that person? Would you be considered as an ambassador or a representative of one who loves God like Job was? Paul said to that church of Thessalonica, if you'll allow me to paraphrase, be Job-like. <laughs> Fear God, be upright, blameless, righteous, and shun evil. That's what he said through the testing, through the measuring against the word, the revelation of God. Through the measuring, that revelation, hold on to it. To good and reject that evil, the evil that God identified. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to ask Jennifer if the agents of baptism this morning would go ahead and get ready. And it's much, much too late in the game to try to heat that water. What I'm going to do, I want to give you guys an opportunity. An opportunity. To respond to the scripture with an understanding of what we have shared today. And you too can make a decision this morning in Jesus that I want to be that type of person. That I don't want to be a quencher of God's spirit, man. I want to be so sensitive to it. I want to be able to measure it. I want to be able to understand it. 
And I want to value what God says to me, right? I want to value what God says to me. And I'm going to test it. Prove it. And I'm going to hang on, man. I'm hanging on. I'm white-knuckling the good. And I'm letting go of that other stuff. You say, what is evil things, Trent? It says every form of evil. What is evil things? Evil things is anything that loosens your grip on what is good in God. It may not be evil in the next man's eyes, but if it's causing a compromised grip on the things that are good that God has revealed to you, that is evil. That is evil. Don't let it lie to you. Don't, don't, don't compromise and say, well, it's a lesser good. No. If it's compromising your standing with God, regardless of what the intent is, if it's the, then it is evil. It is evil. So I want you to stand with me this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't. But what we want to do this morning is we want to give you an opportunity, an opportunity to respond to what God has said to you this morning. So with the heads bowed, listen, man, no tricks, no bait switch, none of that stuff. But with the heads bowed this morning, not looking to your left or to your right, man, or the front or the back. I'm talking about you, you this morning. What about you? Not, not, not your son, not your daughter, not your husband, not your wife. You. What about you? What about you? We're going to give you a few moments. And I'm going to ask Ben, Ben Ashlock, would you come on up? I'm going to turn this over to you, and I'm going to get ready for this baptism. If you need someone to pray with, if you need time, that is provided for you this morning. In Jesus' name.